Energy Thinks, a podcast about how the oil and gas industry can future-proof against rising social risks and lead the world into the energy future. I'm Tisha Schuler, the founder of Adam and Teen Energy, and it's my pleasure today to introduce this podcast hosted by Ann Carto, who's our Director of Client Strategy and Sustainability. As you regular listeners know, in season three, we have been focusing on talking to leaders who are becoming disruptors themselves in this moment of so much disruption in our industry. And there's really no better example than our guest today, Shen Yong. He's the CEO and co-founder of WorkRise. They are a workforce management company, and you may know them uh, in their earlier incarnation as RigUp. So Shen has played a prominent role, of course, in this rebrand of WorkRise across some new industries. And he brings to this position his earlier experience as an analyst with Goldman Sachs, Citadel Investment Group, and other chapters along the way. You can learn more about his biography in the show notes. So interesting about WorkRise is that they have made their mission to empower the people who get the hard work done. And what could be more timely as so many of us are concerned about the workforce and whether we will be able to both retain and attract the workers we need to get the jobs done everywhere from the field to the office to the executive suites. There's some really interesting conversation in here. Who are their most important customers? How do they approach uh, this work? I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation between Ann Carto and game-changing leader, Shen Young. Well, thank you, Shen, for joining us on the Energy Thinks podcast. We are so thrilled to have you. And I am so excited that I get to guest host for this because I've heard wonderful things about WorkRise and RigUp in the past and just thrilled to have this conversation. So thank you for being here. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having us. So at Adam and Teen, we're constantly telling our clients in the broader industry to embrace millennials and emerging leaders in their company by bringing them into important strategic decisions and encouraging their leadership within the company um, and the companies that they're working in. And we're obviously impressed with you. It's a great story. You know, you're growing and leading such a successful company. So besides obviously working very hard over many years, you know, what's led you to this point? What skills brought you to where you are today? First off, Anne, thanks for having us. And, you know, we don't do a lot of this. And so when, when, when we do talk, I think it's, it's important just to, to talk about you know, why, why we exist. Right. And, and maybe that ties to like this first question you're asked, but it's the connection and, you know, the passion for the customers that we ultimately serve. That is the skilled labor. That is the skilled worker. That's the workforce. You know, there's a lot of ways we do that. Uh, but one of the best examples early on when we first started the business was our stance on non-competes. You know, we've always been against them for the skilled labor, the boots on the ground, you know, that, that do the work that, frankly, uh, a lot of us, you know, take for granted sometimes. And, and we, we've gone as far as fighting for the, those workers, the workforce uh, who get sued, even though they're contingent and hourly skilled labor. And we just don't believe that's in the best interest of the skilled worker. Another example, and I'm giving you sort of some of these examples, but they're, they're really in service or, you know, on the same thread as really this connection and passion for the for, for our most important customer, which is the workforce. You know, it's really in this sort of like the ethos we demand our, our corporate employees to bring to the office or, you know, to their work every day. You know, what can we do, right? We ask to create the best experience for 
the workers and the workforce and customers we serve. And that's another important piece. It's, you know, it's taking and it's taken a lot of talented people who are truly committed to executing against this mission and vision. And, you know, I'm not going to say we've done it perfectly. We've obviously made made mistakes and had learnings. And we've also had lots of successes because of the mistakes that we've made and, and learning from those. But at the end of the day, the most important thing one can do, particularly from a corporate employee perspective, working in this business is being always laser focused on creating the best experience for skilled labor and the workers uh, we serve. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because, you know, within my generation and I think the broader industry, and when I say that, I mean oil and gas, which I, I know you've, you've diversified a bit, but there's challenges to retaining employees right now and send talented employees in the oil and gas industry. And so from your unique seat, you know, what makes that experience or what's the number one factor or challenge that companies aren't considered when they're hiring workers, retaining workers? And that can be both for, you know, the workforce you're serving, but also maybe your employees. So let me break this down. I think for corporate employees, mission and vision matters most. And if you can't get behind the mission and vision, we may not be the best place for you to work at, right? And, and, and vice versa, we need to go and retain the best corporate talent to sort of build the product and services and execute operationally in service of the workforce. And from my perspective, we owe those employees, our employees, the opportunity to have better or deeper connection because we want, we're, we're asking them to share in our mission and vision into the future. I'd say, you know, as it relates to the workforce, it's not even about retention necessarily, although our goal and it is to increase their utilization, right? So to have more projects and more opportunities for workers in their own backyards to do the work that they feel proud of and to give them agency so that they can, you know, pick and choose what's best for them and their families. I think it's not even about retention though, because the problem is this skilled labor shortage is front and center today. We're just got off the phone with somebody who said, hey, this year we're short 300,000 workers. And, you know, a lot of the modeling that we've done internally points to a 10 million plus skilled labor worker gap by the end of the decade into the early early 2030s. And I think that all that that also bakes in some assumption of you know advanced manufacturing and and you know and automation, certainly. But I think it's uh it's 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 not even about retention for, for skilled labor workforce. It's about how do we get more folks, how do we get more people to want to get into these trades? And then that comes back really to the mission and vision here, which is we need to increase economic opportunity. We need to be able to build a business that allows skilled trades to be more than just a paycheck to paycheck type of scenario. We need the ability for people in this line of work to not just feel proud about the work that they're doing, but also to put savings away to live out, you know, certainly their dreams uh, for their families themselves. So I think it's, I think it's deeper. It's not just how we retain, but I think it's, there's a, you know, we've got to draw it all the way to sort of like the lives in the real world situation of, you know, the folks who are building the homes we live in that give us, give us the light that's turned on behind me and, and things like that. And so probably not enough time to, to solve all those issues there, but, but certainly something I, I think about 
you know, quite, quite frequently every day here at WorkRise. Yeah. And I, I just want to pull on that a little bit more is, you know, we don't have all day, but I am curious if you have an example of a leader or a company that is treating the skilled labor or the workforce that they have in a way that's promoting that, that is making them feel more a part of a long-term strategy than kind of this day-to-day pay to paycheck to paycheck. I think, I mean, I, I think, you know, a lot of our customers do care about the situation, but there's also a couple couple layers removed, right? In the sense that, you know, I'd like to say we're, we're that leader. I'd like to say we we aspire to become that leader one day. There's a lot, uh, certainly a lot of work we have to do that's that's ahead of us. You know, it's, it's not going to solve this problem. It's going to take more than just a business like ours. It's going to take our customers on the demand side of the marketplace, which we have great customers and we love working with them, but we need you know, more to, to care in the same or, or same theme. We're going to need support from policymakers that we're going to need you know, communities to care as well. And certainly, as I mentioned on the front end to this answer, I think there's a significant amount of, of work we, we have yet to do and we dream and we aspire and you know, we're going to work our butts off to hopefully be that leader for our workforce and, and our stakeholders, our investors, et, et, et cetera. So. I have no doubt that you'll be the one that solves this problem for us, actually, because, you know, this season, we're purposefully interviewing disruptors. So you stood out to us because of that. And so I want you to talk about how WorkRise and you have really disrupted workforce management. What are you doing differently that has led to your success thus far? I think it's a very... They're very big question. I think it's a couple things. So the two things to point to, we really focus on how to get or how to increase the number of opportunities a worker has to get, you know, on their first, second, third, fourth project and so on. So all about maybe it's you know first principles thing but it's about like workforce retention or or skilled training retention in the sense that's like how many more projects can we get those individuals on and in order to get them on more projects it's developing a more intimate understanding of what that ultimate skill set is and then what additional skill sets they need and so that kind of ties in to the second point which is focusing our product and our services, you know, both from a technology and operation standpoint on increasing the marketability of the worker themselves. So maybe they're skilled for one specific trade, but can we give them opportunities to take on, you know, skills to an adjacent trade and what additional training do we need to add to help a worker achieve that? Maybe they work in high voltage and, you know, express interest in wanting to go into low voltage as well on the same project. What do we need to do to give those workers that opportunity? And, and ultimately that, that accrues to sort of the, you know, the construction company that's, that's building the project. These two items we're talking about are sort of like very first principles, but they're not like radical ideas. They're just different ways of thinking and it just comes back to, you know, a workforce first mindset that we have. So if it's how are we thinking or how have we disrupted workforce management? Well, it's we put the workforce first and we're, we're confident and, and hopeful at the same time that it's, it's going to yield you know, great results for you know, all parties involved. 
Yeah. And it seems like it's interesting you talk about this. So we work with our clients on environmental social governance and investor strategies. And there's a lot more pressure right now on companies on the social side, whether it's upstream, midstream, downstream, anyone, any public business. And I just want to say, I think this is going to help by thinking of the worker first. You're going to eliminate some of the issues companies have when it runs into contractor behavior, vendor behavior, um, maybe their work in general and the policies that they need to have in place. So I'm excited to see how this shifts and actually helps the businesses too by focusing on the workers so much. So that's exciting for me to hear. I want to talk, you know, you said making the worker more marketable and focusing on that. Your shift from rig up to work rise was deliberate. And this diversification from just, you know, oil and gas construction to to some of these renewable industries, but the speed at which you shifted, um, I read in the news was forced by the pandemic. So I'm curious, what are some lessons learned from being forced to pivot more quickly than maybe you um, planned to? I wouldn't actually call it pivot or a shift necessarily. You know, it's important to recognize that oil and gas is a significant and continues to be a growing part of our company. And I care deeply about it. And I know everyone that works here cares deeply about it as well. So what we saw in 2020 or specific to 2020 was that we were able to move a good number of workers who still needed work into construction and into renewables, which is great for them given, you know, for a quarter, for a quarter and a half effectively, the predominant, you know, large amount of work in oil and gas effectively stopped. And now we're actually seeing that dynamic reverse, right? Where, you know, there's been supply chain delays, you know, workers showing on up on site, the equipment's not there, et cetera. And so what 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 have we actually seen this year is shifting workers from construction or renewables into oil and gas because there's a shortage on that side now. And I think that flexibility kind of speaks to a macro dynamic of the marketability of workers. So if we're going to be short 300,000 skilled workers this year, and you believe whatever forecast I just talked about or any other forecast that could be out there on what's going to be the skilled labor shortage in in but at the end of the decade or into the early 2030s, I think it's again not about retention, but it's about taking what is currently existing in our economy and trying to figure out different ways. So it's bringing workers into higher skilled trades like what we're doing today, but also giving workers and workforce the ability to adjust based on whatever economic conditions are out there, because ultimately what we owe our most important customer is more and more project opportunities. So, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that because this this year it's been a, you know, oil and gas has rebounded. The supply chain constraints have actually impeded sort of some progress on the construction side. Putting it all together, I think it's like, you know, we see skilled trades as a broader opportunity where we can solve inefficiencies, create this, this value I'm talking about for workers across industries. And that expansion that really saved us last year in, in many ways was something that was natural, was what was natural result of our desire to continue to in, invest and increase in sort of like the workforce of marketability and flexibility. The 2021 shareholder proxy season held important lessons for oil and gas companies with investors imposing new demands on targeted firms. What does all this mean for your company? Adam Mateen's latest white paper gives you our top line proxy season insights. Download it today at energythinks.com backslash papers. That's energythinks.com backslash papers. And now back to the show. 
That sounds like it was difficult, but, and I'm sure there's plenty of challenges, but. Um, yeah. I mean, look, everything we do is difficult. This yeah. is, this is like, I mean, this is like um, every day is difficult. Every, every week, every year it is, this is not, you know, by, and you, you know, this too, this is not for the faint of heart. And this journey, you know, as both a founder, but also for our employees, is not an easy one. I think what has been extremely refreshing, though, is you find sort of deeper meaning in sort of like what pulls, you know, the com- what pushes the company forward and what sort of takes us to, as each, with, with each chapter of progress that we make. And, and I think what we found is if you can end a day and, you know, a tough day or a good day, and you can look inside yourself and say, what have I done for, you know, skilled trades or the workforce today? Have I done something that's incrementally positive, right? And maybe, maybe the analogy is this isn't, this isn't Hail Mary's here. I was talking to someone else about that earlier today. It's not about Hail Mary's. It's about just moving the chains and getting, you know, five yards here, five yards there, the first downs. And, and that's the journey we're on. And it's hard to take it aside, but I think that that's really, that's really, I wake up every day to sort of move the ball forward just a few yards. I would expect my team to do that as well. I expect incremental improvement every day. And if we're able to be consistent with that and we desire and aspire to be consistent in sort of that operational execution, I think it's actually going to end up yielding way more successful results for the workforce we serve, for our customers that we serve, in the absence of Hail Marys out, out there. You know, there's just, we've got to be systematic about it. And what gets, it's not, it's not glamorous, but but I think it's, it drives us when we're able to ask ourselves and then answer to ourselves that, hey, we did, we did something that mattered for for the workers today. Absolutely. And, and I imagine for your employees at your company that, it probably feels better having someone that just wants to move the chains and be consistent rather than your Hail Mary. I, I imagine that I would prefer that in my leader. So um, I do, <laughs> I, I do want to stay on this kind of marketability of candidates um, or, you know, the workforce. I certainly talk to, sometimes I speak to field offices about what's going on politically or regulatory, and, and they're nervous certainly about what's next for them. Should oil and gas be regulated out of a certain area or something like that. And, and I'm curious, you know, on this marketability, what should employees be doing to set themselves apart from other candidates? You know, what do you recommend in, in your platform? And should they be thinking about skills that are not only applicable across the current energy sectors we see, but down the road, new business lines, we're already talking about hydrogen and RNG and carbon capture. So how do you usually recommend they think about new skills? So, and, and so here we're talking about the skilled trades in our workforce, right? Just to confirm. Okay. So look, I think the first thing that comes to mind, because we're, you know, we've got a myriad of different investments that we're, we're, we're watching here and investing in is, is training, right? We offer currently a variety of training programs for that workforce. And the whole goal is to help workers level up into positions that they may not have otherwise uh, been able to secure. You know, I, I think um, some of it certainly geared, some of the programs we have are geared towards like entry-level roles. And we did a lot of project-specific pop-up training in the solar space, particularly in Texas over the last year or so. We've also made you know, on the other side of the spectrum, we've made sizable investments in, you know, wind training facility in Denver, where 
you know, workers can learn everything from CPR, first aid, to blade maintenance, to tower rescues. And then we've got programs in between. I can't tell you today what the ultimate silver bullet is going to be. You know, we've got, and maybe there isn't going to be a silver bullet. And this is sort of a, you know, a lead bullet kind of thing where we've got investments happening. We are following the data, following the results, following the workers and figuring out you know, does a portfolio of these investments or one of these specific investments yield the right outcomes for workers? Can we then come back and say, hey, we actually in- improved that worker marketability meaningfully enough relative to the investment dollars that we put in to wh- whichever of these programs we're talking about? So I think that's that's ultimately, you know, one word training and reskilling or skilling up. So I just gave three words, I said one in politics, but that's ultimately one of my bigger bets on what's going to improve, you know, the, the lives and, and the economic opportunities for, for skill trades. Okay. That's helpful. I want to go see the, the wind training facility at some point. I live in Denver. Yeah. I'm interested. Oh, well, uh, we should host you. Yeah. Not, I, would love that. I love that. So I want to shift a little bit to your company culture, the, you know, the employees that you're working with day to day and a built-in Austin article spotlighted your company's efforts to kind of redefine its culture to focus more on the employee experience. Can you explain how WorkRise's culture and enablement team that I read about is sort of emphasizing and redefining company values? It's really important to us that when people think of WorkRise, whether they think of current, future employees or the workforce we serve, they think of the skill, the skilled trades being at the center of everything we do. You know, so we're a workforce first company and that connection that we talked about on the front end of this, you know, of this interview to mission and it is critical for one success as a corporate employee, but also for the success of the business. It's something I felt that we were starting to lose sight of as you know, from this work from home situation. So we've really been intentional about reconnecting all of our employees back to the reason we can't come to work every day and the reason why this company exists. So I think that's really, in summary, the essence of what's been happening in, inside our business. And does that happen, like in practice, does that happen in the communications that you're giving to employees or how they're motivated by um, what what they're trying to achieve? And, you know, how is that? How do you get employees to focus more on that? Like remembering day to day that that's why they're here. This business ultimately comes down and the successful business and our ability to serve, you know, our workers comes down to like operational execution and operational execution, therefore requires not just the operational teams driving P&L, but certainly all teams to be more hands-on operationally day to day. And so that means we got to get more of our employees, corporate employees onto, onto sites, uh, you know, whether it's an oil rig, you know, a wind farm or, you know, commercial construction site in, in their own backyards. We have lots of opportunities for folks to do that, but I think it's deeply important because it's different when you see, you know, it's 105 degrees in Texas and, and a worker is 105 degrees putting up solar panels, the sun's beating down on you. It's a different experience when you see that firsthand. And so it's important. It's not just ops teams, but, but everyone in business, you know, is on a regular basis offsite. And that helps us build a better service, uh, a better product ultimately. And, and so some of the other, you know, so when we say that, I mean, that some small stuff is then when it's been really hot and, you know, a lot of our exposure is in obviously Texas or our backyard we started or, or Florida as an example. So it's really hot. It's like, you know, we got to get very simple things, get teams, get success teams dropping off water at sites. And, you know, you can just layer on lots of different things, but I think it starts with just that, you 
you know, deeper connection. And so people see, you know, our employees see things firsthand, what it takes to, again, build all the things we take for granted or I think that, you know, good things will come. Yeah, it sounds like by getting on site, you know, they, they're able to have more empathy for the, the workers that are connecting to these jobs. That, that makes a lot of sense to me. So shifting to you and, and your values and your leadership as an individual from a change in some of these work modalities to, you know, layoffs that you've had to do and, and the pandemic uh, creating different challenges for the industries that you represent. As a CEO, what were some of the big takeaways from managing a company amid all of these challenges? You know, I count my blessings and we were really fortunate and blessed to have made it through 2020 with, you know, the macro pressures we faced, you know, oil and gas went negative, COVID shut down a lot of job sites and we managed to survive. And I think we've been really fortunate to survive this year too, where, you know, supply chain disruptions and, 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 and you know, and, you know, as, and as a pandemic's you know, dragged on, you know, fortunate to, to be able to still grow this year. And maybe that's a tribute to sort of like the diversity of the, our portfolio of exposures that we have, you know, given given sort of what's been happening in oil and gas and energy markets in particular this year. So I ultimately credit that two things that sort of, you know, why I'm thankful. And first one is, is our team. You know, when we had our backs against the wall, this team at WorkRise rallied in probably the most remarkable way to do everything we can to ensure success. And, and so I'm thankful and fortunate for, for the team. And then and second is, you know, that diversity of portfolio exposure, which really was, again, a function of, you know, our team driving us, you know, and recommending those strategies, you know, in late 2019. And, and so it, it really comes down to the team, the cast of characters we put around and sort of around ourselves to, to make us better, to move the chains, you know, for five yards by five yards, right? I think in, it's not over, but I think we're going to come out of the other side stronger. We're going to come out supporting more workers. I th- we're going to come out connected to this mission and vision and, you know, more than grateful and fortunate for, for that. And so, yeah, that's, um, that's sort of like uh, my takeaway of how we mm-hmm. managed during, during the pandemic. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I, when I've talked to other people about, you know, when the pandemic started and what they were seeing at their companies, it sounded like people either rallied and were like, let's make this something or let's just wait it out and hide in a hole. So it sounded like your team had the right attitude there and, and it paid off. So I just have one more question for you. And that's because a lot of our audience are oil and gas leaders, executives, and obviously you have led your company to a lot of growth through a lot of challenges. So what lessons should other leaders take away from you and from WorkRise's rebranding and, and growth as the energy landscape changes um, right in front of them? I'm still learning myself. <laughs> so I'm a student far from a coach. I learn every day and I'm learning from others. I'm learning from. And so I think, um, and so maybe it's the biggest learning I've had over the last kind of 20 months. It's all about, certainly in this stage of our business, it's all about our team. I want to work with people I learn from. 
you know, I've been fortunate and I'm working to sort of continue to sort of, I interview, I do 15 to, you know, 15, sometimes upwards of 20 interviews a week for all different roles in our company. I just started doing that, you know, earlier this year. It's been an eye-opening thing. And I'll tell you this, I interview entry level, maybe I should say entry level, analyst level to obviously exec level. And when I talk to folks, I'm like, there's individuals out there, I'm going to learn so much from you. And I think others in this company are going to learn so much for you and you're going to make an impact that's going to change the lives of you know so many workers and I, I'm looking for that and I think whatever one's mission is in the business hire individuals that have that will put bring something that you can learn from you know as you know a leader and so it's you know that this the, the, the success of this company and because we've such audacious goals such audacious goals and, and and the impact that we want to have on the lives of our customers is not there is no the hero syndrome is not going to work here it's not going to be on my back or my co-founder's back or one individual's back it's going to be really a function of a team rowing together and it's almost flipped right it's like and and there there's going to be individuals out of college there's going to be extremely experienced people that have been in this industry or whatever industry for for decades and there's going to be phenomenal you know mentors phenomenal coaches folks that are great at execution great at ops and we've got to put that together here it's a dream team it's not one individual it's certainly not me and that's the only thing i can impart on sort of not just for energy companies but for for all businesses it's, it's, it's been certainly part of the journey i've been through and i'm hopeful this sort of mindset will will get us to the next part will move us forward to our next chapter in, in a good way it's very inspiring bringing it back to your team so i appreciate it well that is what i have for you today so I just want to say thank you, Shen, for being with us. We really enjoyed it. Thanks for being on the Energy Things podcast. Thanks so much to Ann Carto and Shin Young for taking the time to put together this really interesting discussion. What was game changing for me was this idea of putting the worker experience at the center of our thinking and planning about how to attract and retain a workforce. And begging the question, are we getting out into the field or into the locations where our workers are and asking ourselves how we're making this work for them? Not just day to day, but to create lives and create careers. So I thought that was really interesting and I'd love to hear what you found game-changing. So check us out at energythinks.com backslash podcast and let me know. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment and uh, recommend this podcast to two people and give us a review. I want to thank Adon Rubiel, Lindsay Slaughter, and Michael Tanner for doing all the behind the scenes work that makes the Energy Thinks podcast. A special thank you, of course, to Ann Carto for doing the interview that you heard today. Until next time, I'm Tisha Schuler, wishing you and yours happiness, prosperity, and good health.